The Weldcast is sponsored by South Pace Properties, which is Alabama's largest independent commercial real estate firm, headquartered here in downtown Birmingham for more than 30 years, has been a great supporter of the growth and progress of our city, and is a great supporter of Weld, and we sure do appreciate that. Our guest today is uh, Dr. Reagan Durant, who is uh, Associate Professor in the Division of uh, Preventive Medicine at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, uh, also the Medical Director for Cooper Green Mercy Health Services, which is the successor to Cooper Green Hospital, uh, which is the indigent care hospital uh, for Birmingham and Jefferson County. Uh, indigent care uh, and the lack of adequate in, in indigent care has, uh, is, a, is an issue with a long history in Birmingham and efforts to address it date back really, uh, modern efforts to address it date back really to about the mid-1950s. Uh, Cooper Green was established, uh, Cooper Green Hospital, in 1972. Uh, the hospital uh, had what I think we can accurately and charitably call a, a, a checkered history of, of, of success and, and support from the community. Uh, to the extent that uh, it was uh, closed for uh, inpatient services four years ago this month, right at the end of 2012, and since has been in a transition to providing outpatient services. Dr. Duran, I think it's, it's fair to say that, that uh, by and large our community may be uh, under-informed, if not uninformed, about uh, the activities uh, at Cooper Green uh, since the in, inpatient services were discontinued four years ago. Can you take a minute and bring us up to speed? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to do that. Um, always happy to uh, try to uh, inform the public about uh, what I think are some of the wonderful things going on at Cooper Green. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, the, uh, Cooper Green historically have been uh, both an inpatient hospital and an outpatient clinic. And at the end of uh, 2012, the decision was made to close the hospital and leave the clinic or outpatient portion of the operation open. And uh, in the midst of that transition, uh, the hospital obviously was closed and it had a bit of a ripple effect on the uh, outpatient operation uh, as well uh, in terms of um, some attrition of patients. Uh, patients didn't necessarily realized that the outpatient portion was still going to be open and felt like the whole thing was closed and felt like even they couldn't even get their clinic or outpatient care there anymore. And then the instability also created some attrition of uh, staff as well, particularly physician staff. And so uh, it, it left uh, even the remaining portion uh, in uh, a um, less than the des desirable state uh, with uh, patients lost and staff lost and, and quickly trying to recover, uh, particularly at a time when um, there was still uncertainty about where patients even were going to get their inpatient care. Right. So what has happened in the interim and what happened very quickly uh, in, in 13 is that uh, the county entered into contractual agreements with uh, inpatient facilities uh, so that inpatient care could be provided for uh, Cooper Green patients, and those facilities or those systems include UAB, uh, St. Vincent's, 
and Princeton Baptist. And so any Cooper Green patients that need to be admitted can uh, be admitted at those, uh, at those hospitals, receive the inpatient care they need, and the county then picks up the cost of uh, any inpatient services provided there. Uh, on the outpatient side, what we have uh, been able to do is to uh, build up um, primary care uh, from a staffing standpoint uh, to uh, bring on the adequate number of providers needed to see the patients. And now, uh, three and a half, four years later, uh, really not only building up to just keep up with the patients that are there, but really uh, adding staff to keep up with uh, rapid growth uh, at Cooper Green in terms of the number of patients. Uh, we also have expanded uh, a number of the uh, services available uh, at Cooper Green as well. So the scope of what we do uh, is on the outpatient side is uh, actually uh, probably a bit broader than it was even uh, four years ago immediately after the closure of the uh, inpatient uh, operation. And, and so the, in terms of overall community health, uh, is that an ideal situation? Is, is it, does it make sense from a community health perspective to be focused on outpatient services as opposed to, to running a, an inpatient hospital facility? Well, I, I think the answer to that question is um, properly framed in um, the context of with a limited uh, amount of resources. Mm -hmm. So the indigent care is a uh, finite uh, source of funding. And how, how, can the, how can those monies be best allocated to optimize the health of the indigent population? Mm -hmm. And so that is sort of the, the question that I think you have to ask um, in terms of figuring out uh, what type of services are gonna be, be offered and how they're gonna be offered. The, I was not involved at, at Cooper Green at the time of the closure of the hospital, so I can't claim to know all the intricacies uh, that went into the decision to close, particularly from the fiscal standpoint. Sure, that's fair. However, um, it's easy to imagine in retrospect um, the difficulty of maintaining the infrastructure of an inpatient facility with a low daily census. And so whether you have one patient or 50 patients, uh, you still have to maintain a certain st certain staffing levels. Right. You still have to have a lab open all night. You still have to have um, some aspects, perhaps, of radiology open all night. Um, so there are those fixed costs uh, that I think make it difficult to, to operate an inpatient facility if, if the patient volume is low. Um, so given that, uh, I think it's no secret that um, some of the biggest return on investment in healthcare is in preventing disease and, and certainly treating uh, and controlling disease in an outpatient setting uh, because inpatient care is very, very expensive uh, and, and not to mention the fact that it's generally uh, signals um, poor control of a disease, particularly chronic disease, for right. a patient. Uh, and, and sometimes even it signals a bad outcome for a patient. So putting aside the fisc that's the fiscal piece of secondary, most people don't want to be in the hospital. Uh, 
and, and that's pretty universally agreed upon. Uh, they don't have to be there. So I, I think the decision and, and the, the way in which we are focusing now on outpatient care actually does make a lot of sense uh, in um, large part because we hope that we can provide high quality care such that we can prevent a number of those hospitalizations uh, that ultimately would occur. Obviously, we can't prevent all of them. When patients have to go into the hospital, there is a place for them to go. Uh, right. that, that service may just be contracted out to uh, one of the health systems that I, that I mentioned earlier. Um, but I think we can um, best also address the unique needs of this population in the outpatient setting. So in um, an indigent population, oftentimes there are a number of um, social factors that may complicate their care. Mm -hmm. Many of them born of um, the fact that these folks have limited means, limited financial means. Uh, and really, those can best be addressed and to some extent mitigated in an outpatient setting far more than they can be in an inpatient setting. So for instance, if someone needs assistance with filling a medication, uh, we can do that much better on an outpatient setting whereas the need is, is somewhat, that barrier is somewhat irrelevant when they're in the hospital, but it's very relevant when they're filling prescriptions and having to pay for them right. um, as an outpatient. Uh, we can hopefully begin to make some uh, headway in educating patients about self-care. So there are a lot of chronic diseases, uh, diabetes and hypertension probably chief among them, uh, that uh, are much better controlled when patients engage in self-care. And what that means is a series of behaviors and recommendations that we would make for patients at home to do that uh, may lead to better results. Mm -hmm. uh, and this can varies from sort of the obvious things like diet and exercise um, to um, other more nuanced things. Uh, for instance, uh, with um, diabetics, um, just making sure that um, sugars are checked and, um, and making sure that uh, they are following the appropriate diet specific for diabetics. Again, these are all things that are um, far more um, conducive to the outpatient setting than they are obviously on, on an inpatient setting. So for all those reasons, I, I think that the focus on uh, outpatient care is very much appropriate and in, in many ways uh, we may get more bang for our buck. Uh, not, um, not only from the fiscal standpoint, again, that's somewhat secondary, but more importantly, terms of uh, focusing on prevention and um, control of chronic disease and hopefully getting better outcomes. And I would think in the sheer number of people that you're able to, yes. to reach as well. Yes, uh, exactly. What, how would you characterize, how, excuse me, characterize indigent care, the, the, both the, uh, the availability and, and the level of indigent care that uh, I guess both on a historic basis here in Birmingham and, and with with specific uh, initiatives that, that you're undertaking here through Cooper Green now? So um, in, in terms of accessing 
um, indigent care here in Birmingham, uh, and, and more widely Jefferson County, uh, given that Cooper Green is a county-sponsored yes. uh, entity. Um, you know, I think Birmingham is probably unique, or and Jefferson County at large is unique uh, relative to other uh, counties in the state. Number one, Cooper Green in and of itself, uh, as a uh, county-funded um, care provider, is um, uh, alone uh, in the state of Alabama. I'm not aware of any of the other counties in Alabama that have um, uh, funds, public funds, earmarked to provide indigent care. In addition to uh, Cooper Green, uh, Birmingham also has uh, a number of um, federally qualified um, health centers, which uh, are uh, sponsored by, they receive funding from the federal government. And uh, those centers also provide a, a good deal of care uh, to the uh, to the indigent, and then uh, larger uh, institutions in Birmingham, uh, UAB, St. Vincent's, uh, Princeton, uh, also provide a fair amount of um, uh, uncompensated care. So uh, I, I think relative to other counties in the state, uh, Birmingham, Jefferson County. Uh, actually has uh, better access. That being said, it's still, uh, there still are a number of uh, people uh, who live at or below the poverty line who have a great deal of difficulty getting care. Uh, it, unfortunately, some of those avenues that I mentioned can only be uh, accessed for catastrophic care. Mm -hmm. uh, and so someone has an event and then they have to go into the hospital. Um, I think what sometimes is lacking and it's a void we try to fill at Cooper Green is uh, that patient who has uh, risk factors, known risk factors for a particular disease or a particular bad outcome. And that patient can't get uh, access to care to uh, begin to have those risk factors addressed. Or in some cases, the patient even uh, more uh, downstream maybe may get an actual diagnosis, let's say of high blood pressure, mm -hmm. and uh, has not had any complications from high blood pressure. But unfortunately, without access to care and without access to medication, uh, the high, high blood pressure goes uncontrolled and then the patient has some bad outcome. Right. Uh, so I think that's uh, the part of the um, the care uh, continuum that where patients fall through the, the cracks uh, because then they show up in an ED or show up in the hospital and maybe they've had a known diagnosis for years but then never um, never had an opportunity to get it treated. Again, that's much of what we're trying to do uh, with our patients uh, at Cooper Green. Well, and you mentioned uh, diabetes, you mentioned hypertension, high blood pressure. I mean, what, what else do you look for? What are the, what are the sort of flashpoints in, term in terms of indigent health? Well, so, you know, it's, it, it's common. It, it's, the, if you look at epidemiologic data, 
uh, for the state and for the nation, it, it, it's not terribly different uh, than what you see across the population. Uh, I'd say in Jefferson County, just because of demographics and because of the disproportionate number of uh, African-American residents of Jefferson County that also are poor, uh, we see uh, higher proportions of diabetes and hypertension just because those diseases are more prevalent among African-Americans. Uh, but we also see uh, a fair number of cancers. So we have, um, we sort of see them at two ends of the spectrum, uh, Cooper Green, uh, and in between, but the two sort of extreme ends. We uh, have screening programs at, at Cooper Green, so breast cancer screening, cervical cancer screening, as well as colon cancer screening. Uh, and sometimes we detect uh, malignancies uh, at that end of the spectrum, which if they're going to be detected, that's where that's ideally right. uh, where you'd like to detect them. Unfortunately, we also see people with fairly advanced uh, tumors uh, that come in that perhaps haven't had access, uh, never been screened, or, or maybe even knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you know, the symptomatology was just became intolerable, came in to be checked, and then of course uh, they've got some advanced right. um, tumor that, um, you know, hopefully at that point still is amenable to, uh, to some sort of therapy. Uh, we also see a number of uh, patients with um, chronic pain. So we have a um, population that is a little bit skewed toward middle age. And so our average age is probably uh, in the uh, early to mid 50s uh, of our patient population. And unlike a typical, I think, outpatient clinic operation where uh, you'd see a, a larger uh, number of patients in their 60s and older. Um, we are seeing more middle-aged folks, and many times uh, that's what brings uh, people in that uh, phase of life to the doctor, uh, musculoskeletal pain. And uh, it runs the gamut from people who have uh, chronic low back pain uh, to um, all sorts of, uh, that's the main one, uh, but all sorts of musculoskeletal pain. And that is a, uh, a huge portion of our population uh, that uh, we are increasingly trying to manage, uh, not only with pain medications, but then also with more of a multidisciplinary approach that includes uh, other uh, complementary um, modalities uh, such as um, physical therapy, um, actual interventions, so patients may be eligible for um, injections um, that may um, lessen their dependence on chronic pain meds. Uh, these are the sorts of things we're exploring for, for this population as well. Um, other than that, we, we also see just a, a wide array of things that may be less frequent, uh, but uh, we see them enough. Uh, you know, so this would, we do see people, even though our age skews a little bit young with ischemic heart disease, so people who've had heart attacks and are, are recovering. We see people who've had strokes. Uh, and uh, we also see um, some patients um, 
who have had even more rare uh, problems. Um, that it's interesting because sometimes some of the uh, problems that people present with you may only see in a um, sort of tertiary care facility. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is a place like UAB where people are being referred from all over. Right. And we still see some of that, um, um, some of those rare diagnoses even at Cooper Green. Uh, even though most times people are presenting there on their own, they're not being referred from an, from another facility. So it's 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 a fascinating uh, clinical setting. And to to I mean on the on the continuum of, of the needs of, of the indigent community in Birmingham, and we have some factors as you've alluded that work against us uh, in that regard. Uh, high poverty rate uh, being the most <clears throat> uh, immediate and apparent. Uh, where are we in terms of addressing that that entire universe of, of indigent need, indigent medical need in Birmingham and, and Jefferson County? Well, I, I, think, <clears throat> I think increasingly people are realizing that it's going to take a multi-pronged approach. So uh, Cooper Green is, is, is one of those avenues. Uh, the um, established uh, health systems in the uh, city and county also, as I mentioned, uh, are providing, not only in partnering with Cooper Green to, pro to provide care uh, on the inpatient side, but then also still providing uh, large amounts of uncompensated care uh, as well. I, I think also uh, the um, Jefferson County uh, Department of Health uh, provides uh, a great deal of uh, primary care uh, at its, uh, not only uh, at its uh, south side location, but other locations as well. Uh, and I think that uh, there are some movements afoot out in the community uh, to uh, try to see how local resources can be marshaled to um, provide increased access uh, of, um, to care for, um, for the indigent. One of the Again, one of the ways in which Cooper Green is unique is we have, we truly are a multi-specialty clinic. Um, so it's not just primary care. We have uh, probably the most frequently utilized um, specialties on site with the exception of maybe one or two. Um, most uh, clinics that serve um, the indigent exclusively don't have that sort of access. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there are movements afoot in the um, in the community, I think, to get access for um, many of these patients to specialty care, uh, essentially by creating a network of uh, specialty care providers who are willing to see some of these patients uh, at you know lower or no cost, um, because. Like so many things, you know, there's a pathway that people go down and have in being evaluated for a medical problem, and it uh, is very difficult and, quite frankly, from a provider standpoint, frustrating. If a patient gets in, uh, is seen, you diagnose something that requires um, some uh, evaluation uh, by a specialist, and then there's no specialist right. to refer them to. Right. Um, so then you're just stuck, and more importantly, the patient is stuck. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so I think um, I, I think increasing access to specialty care um, is one of the main ways in which uh, patients um, who are indigent can uh, can be helped. But we've we've got a ways to go here in Jefferson. How would you characterize the, the level of coordination and communication between these various entities so, who are so, coming at this? So, so I, I, I think it's, I, I, honestly, I think it's hit or miss. I think there is a lot of effort more recently to really try to have coordinated efforts. Uh, and I, again, I think it's a common acknowledgement that uh, given the uh, large numbers of people living in poverty in Jefferson County, no one solution and no one entity can reasonably be expected to assume responsibility for care of all of, uh, right. all of those folks. And um, unfortunately, on the trajectory we're on, that number uh, is um, likely going to continue to grow, uh, unfortunately, just uh, looking at trends. And so I think there is an effort um, to try to coordinate the coordinate um, various uh, approaches. So the um, effort to uh, create a network of uh, specialty providers—that's sort of yeah. a lot of groups coming together, including multiple, even multi- representatives from multiple health systems, even uh, to try to figure out how to do that. Um, the um, Jefferson County Department of Health, uh, I think, has taken a, a leadership role in trying to figure out um, sort of what should be the health priorities for the county, uh, with a particular focus on uh, the indigent, and then how do we go about addressing those priorities? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there's been some court, and they've brought people in to give input from outside the Department of uh, Health, a lot of a number of stakeholders. Um, so, uh, I think those are examples of ways in which uh, there's um, there's um, an attempt to um, provide some coordination uh, uh, between uh, different groups or different efforts. At the same time, you know, it's also very difficult because sometimes uh, the uh, population can be transient. And sometimes they just want to get care wherever they can get it at that moment. And sometimes that makes it a little bit difficult to coordinate it. So, you know, it's not uncommon that I have a patient that's established with me, but then I talk to the patient on a routine visit and they say, oh, I went to X uh, last week. And I say, oh, well, why didn't you call me or why didn't you come to our urgent care, Cooper Green? And say, oh, I didn't have a ride, and I could only get to this place. Right. Or I was already over there, and so, you know, that's. Uh, let me emphasize, that's not the only barrier to sure. coordination. Sure. But it's uh, it's one thing that makes it a bit tricky, because um, it's a population in many instances uh, that have um, social factors that preclude them from having continuity of care uh, in a very intentional and um, uh, way that's, that fits with you know, their other competing demands right. uh, in right. their lives. 
What what then? What's the what's the single greatest challenge or or, or need, both in terms of uh, of Cooper Green's efforts to serve the indigent population and and our general uh, uh, attitude uh, in our community toward indigent needs, particularly medical needs. Sure. So so I think from our vantage point, uh, one of the things that we really strive for. Uh, are to is to empower people with uh, regard to their health and at times that can sound a, a bit like a cliche but what I mean by that specifically is uh, we want to provide care uh, in the traditional sense if therapies are needed we'll prescribe them or recommend them uh, or in some cases perform them uh, but at the same time we want to uh, move more toward a model where uh, a patient has a, uh, let's say, a chronic disease, and the discussion about how about the management of that disease is a twofold discussion. While on one uh, side of the fence, um, we're talking about what we as the providers are going to do, but then on the other side, and perhaps a fence is a bad metaphor because really. We're thinking of these things as overlapping, not being um, separate or, or otherwise disjointed. But talking about the other part, talking about how the patient uh, can undertake uh, certain behaviors uh, to uh, manage his or her own disease uh, at home or between clinic visits. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mean that we're abandoning the patient, but we want to uh, provide the patient with the uh, information and the wherewithal to be able to um, implement some of these self-care recommendations. So this is more than sliding uh, a piece of paper to a patient on their way out, out of the exam room. Uh, it's more than saying, hey, go to this website on your phone and it'll tell you everything you need to know. What we really wanna do is figure out for any given patient um, what the recommendations are. That's the easy part. Uh, and then the more difficult part is so how are we going to implement this for you in a way that is feasible for you? Uh, and, and that's where uh, we really do have to critically think about the unique needs of that patient and his or her um, unique home environment and figure out what's going to be feasible and what's not. It may be that, some, it may be that portions of it just simply are not feasible, right. but let's focus on the ones that are as opposed to treating every patient the same and assuming that it's just a matter of um, ingesting the information and then implementing, when we know with our population uh, there are a number of barriers that some of them face in terms of even doing what perhaps you or I would consider very basic. Right. Um, the, you, the second part of your question was how do we um, influence our I guess as a society, given the microcosm that is Jefferson County, how do we influence attitudes about indigent care? I, I would say this, um, as residents of the same county, um, regardless of how we frame it, we're all, to borrow a word from the insurance industry, we're all in the same risk pool. Right. Um, so 
uh, given the assumption that most of us probably get most of our care in Jefferson County. Uh, every um, group that utilizes care uh, impacts the way in which an, another group utilizes care. So if, for example, when Cooper Green, when the inpatient portion closed and there was a lot of confusion about whether or not it was still open and, and, um, and just not a lot of guidance for patients, um, the ERs uh, locally uh, apparently were uh, saw an uptick in Cooper Green patients. So of course, that affects anybody else showing up in those ERs. It may mean a longer wait. Mm -hmm. uh, it may mean um, ultimately that uh, health systems have to um, look at charges if they're providing more uncompensated care. Maybe they need to charge um, paying patients more. Uh, I think um, it also, and I'm not an economist, but uh, if you have um, middle-aged people who are struggling with chronic diseases or worse yet, um, have risk factors uh, that are um, sort of brewing and perhaps pushing them closer and closer to some diagnosis or worse yet a bad outcome, uh, that has a negative impact on the local economy mm -hmm. because you've got fewer people who are able to work. Uh, I think one misconception is that uh, Cooper Green uh, is um, uh, utilized um, only by uh, people who, you know, for whatever reason aren't working or, uh, or have not worked historically. And the fact of the matter is we see a number of people uh, who are currently working right. uh, but don't have insurance uh, provided by their employer. And uh, we see um, folks who unfortunately have recently worked but have lost jobs because of health problems. Uh, and perhaps if a health problem could be addressed, then they could go back to work. Um, so uh, for all of these reasons, um, there perhaps um, is a um, tendency to think that the um, problems facing the indigent and their uh, lack of access to care somehow um, can be quarantined to that group and, 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 and may not have an impact on, on the lives of others, but the fact of the matter is uh, it, it if those folks don't receive care, it can be detrimental um, to uh, the entire county. Uh, and, and I just enumerated uh, two or three ways. Like I said, yeah. uh, I'm not an economist. I'm sure um, someone could, uh, you know, list uh, many, many more right. uh, ways in which uh, it has a negative impact. So, short way of saying. It's, it's a problem that we as a uh, local community uh, in this county have, and it's beneficial to all of us to make sure that our efforts at Cooper Green are supported and, uh, and uh, ultimately uh, to make sure that the support keeps up with the need. Well, and presumably one step in that direction came back in September when the county commission expressed uh, support for uh, building a new facility 
uh, for uh, Cooper Green Mercy Health Services. Um, your thought about where that process is, the, 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 the commitment was, or the presumed commitment would be about $55 million to build a, a new facility. What would that entail? What, what would be available through that facility and what impact would it have on your efforts? Right. So, so the, the, uh, as you mentioned, it's still in the exploratory phase in terms of figuring out, um, how it could be built with one big piece of that being the financing. Uh, for us, it would be a tremendous, uh, a tremendous improvement. We've um, made Herculean efforts in the current building to essentially adapt to the existing space. Uh, the uh, space was a combination of inpatient and outpatient space. Uh, so some of the inpatient space is now being used as outpatient space. In uh, some ways, you know, it, it works okay. In other ways, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not the most ideal. Uh, and the new building would allow us to, uh, just on a very basic level, um, have spaces customized to our needs, and, to, and, and when I say our needs, I really mean the patient's needs. Mm -hmm. uh, it would allow us to really uh, think in some uh, innovative ways in which we can create space on site, again, to address the unique needs of the patients. Uh, so, for instance, if we wanted to have a robust uh, patient, well, if we wanted to continue what is already in some uh, some aspects of what we do, a robust um, patient education uh, effort. We do that now in diabetes uh, clinic, uh, Cooper Green. If we wanted to expand that to other chronic diseases and, and, and as well as continue it in diabetes clinic, you know, it'd be nice to have customized space for that instead of just having to find a large room where, you know, that group can meet. Mm -hmm. And there may be specialized uh, needs uh, that um, that could be addressed. So for instance, um, if there are, um, if we wanted to create information repositories online, we could have stations for that. Or we could have uh, learning spaces set up to be more interactive. Mm -hmm. Then again, just a room and someone standing with a charter or, um, or PowerPoint. Uh, with sort of a makeshift screen. So for, for all of the, and quite frankly, we can, um, we, in addition to those unique aspects, just in terms of the patient care, we can design it in a way that um, really improves the patient experience. Uh, I think one of the things that we strive for at Cooper Green is to create uh, to, number one, to deliver high quality care. And, and uh, right along with that is to create a patient experience that's comparable to other places in town. It doesn't mean that you know, we're going to allocate resources for every uh, bell and whistle that you might find somewhere else, but in terms of just sort of nuts and bolts things, 
we want patients to come in and to leave feeling like they've been treated with respect, to come in feeling like the system is set up to facilitate their getting care as opposed to the system is set up with uh, inherent barriers mm -hmm. to care, even within Cooper Green, even mm -hmm. once they access Cooper Green. Uh, and um, the interesting thing is that even the physical structure uh, plays in, into whether or not that experience uh, is um, more positive or in some ways negative. Um, so all of those things are, are, are potential benefits of, uh, of a new building. Well, with that, I'm going to uh, remind our listeners that uh, Weldcast is brought to you through the good graces of our friends at uh, South Base Properties, which has been headquartered in downtown Birmingham for more than 30 years. And I'm going to thank our guest, Dr. Reagan Durant, uh, the medical director at uh, Cooper Green Mercy Health Services and an associate professor uh, in the Division of Preventive Medicine at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Thanks, Dr. Durant, so much for your, for your time. Oh, thank you for the opportunity.